The music we have heard and sung today has been good for us to sing and hear, has it not been? So to every one of you who prepared a special musical offering and rehearsed it and presented it this morning, thank you. We've sung together songs expressing gratitude to God for what he has made, for what he has done, for what he has given to us, and for what he has promised to do. Come, ye thankful people, come. And we have come and assembled here this morning to render thanks to him. Let all things now living, Destiny and Robert played that for us, reminding us again that the foundation for gratitude is based in God's creative work. Let all things now living a song of thanksgiving to God the creator abundantly raise for the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies. We sang that together, praising God and thanking him because he is the maker of all good things and his creation is truly magnificent. For the gift of thy dear Son, for the hope of heaven at last. We sang those words too because gratitude finds its full expression in God's redemptive work. And God's redemption is magnificent. Now for just a few moments this morning, and I'm not going to make this long, we're going to think about another song and what it can teach us regarding gratefulness. And although you may have heard of it, it's not nearly so familiar. It's the song of Moses, and it's found in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy. How many of you have ever heard of the song of Moses? How many of you have ever heard it sung? We have one. I've never heard it sung. Deuteronomy, as some of you know, was written by Moses, or to be more accurate, it was first spoken by Moses as a series of three farewell messages to his people. Moses was the man who led the Israelites, slaves, out of Egypt and served as a kind of midwife to birth them into the nation that God was making for his very own. He led them to the borders of the land God promised to give them, a journey that could have been accomplished in a matter of months, but because of the rebelliousness and the stubborn unfaithfulness of his people, it lasted nearly 40 years. It was not an easy journey. Faithfulness to God, loyalty to him, willingness to follow his instructions and believe what he told them, they were perpetual issues for those people in the wilderness. But at last the day came when the people stood on the banks of the Jordan River about to cross over, ready to receive from God's hand the fulfillment of his good promises to them. And before they crossed those waters, Moses gave them his final instructions, his last charge to them, because he was not going with them into that land to lead them there. He died on the east side of the Jordan, and some of you remember why. As a consequence of the significant mistake he had made, 
in failing to honor the holiness of God before the congregation. On that day, they had clamored for water in the desert. So in the first two farewell speeches that Moses recites, he, he gives them their history. He recites to them their history. He reminds them of God's goodness to them and his miracles in their behalf and of their own difficulty in following him steadfastly, the trouble they have had in trusting him. And he appeals to them to remember God's goodness and his promises and to call to mind frequently his laws for living abundantly in the land to which they were going. And that's what Deuteronomy is all about. He begs them not to forget God, but to live with his presence fully in their awareness. But he knows they will not remember. He knows they will indeed forget and fall away. He knows they will forsake God and break their covenant with him and prostitute themselves to the idols and the foreign gods of the land into which they are about to enter. And so, at the end of the book, God tells Moses not to give them another speech, but to sing them a song. Why a song? Because they will remember it longer. When it's set to melody, it's just amazing how music will lodge itself in our minds, isn't it? And God tells Moses to teach the song to the people and have them sing it. So that in the years to come, when they turn away from God and life goes downhill, which it will, so that in those days when life is hard and difficult, they will remember it. And it will become a kind of anchor point for them. It will become a kind of road map for them so that they won't forget God completely. And so they might recall that he is good and that he forgives. And they might find their way back to him. That's the song of Moses. It has 43 verses. Imagine that. Imagine for the beauty of the earth with 43 verses. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Song of Moses in our Sabbath school class. So for some people here, this is going to be a bit of a review. We're going to just consider four verses of the song this morning to try to understand its connection to the virtue of gratitude. Verses 3 and 4 of the song introduce God and describe his character. He says, I will praise the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. There is no question or quibbling or complaint here that God is capricious, fickle, or unfair. On the contrary, he is the standard of what's right. He is the definition of what is good and just and rational. That's the description of God and his character. Then, verses 5 and 6 of the song describe God's people and their character. And you will notice the verb tenses switch to the past tense here, not because God's people have acted shamefully in the past, even though they have, 
But God uses the past tense to describe the future behavior of his people because it's bound to happen this way. It is so certain to happen that God speaks as though it's already taken place. It's called the prophetic past. And here's what God says about the people. They have acted corruptly toward him to their shame. They are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made and formed you? Again, this is a description of God's people years into the future. After they are settled into the promised land and they have grown fat and happy and wealthy and then have fallen away from God. They have forsaken him and they have become corrupt. Notice that word, corrupt. It means to change or to debase by making errors. They have made some serious errors. They will make some serious errors that will have shameful results. Why? Also notice the question that God asks. Is this the way you repay the Lord? Repay the Lord for what? For what? According to the verse, it's for creating them, right? For fathering them. They have not repaid him in the, in the appropriate way for making them, for bringing them into nationhood. Instead, they have acted corruptly. And of course, we know what that means because we understand the wider context of what's going on here. It means that they have gone after idols instead of remaining true to God who created them, who made them, who brought them into existence as a nation. And as a result, what has happened to them? They've become what? Foolish. Unwise. Foolish and unwise. So what in the world does this have to do with gratitude? Well, there's a very well-known passage in the New Testament that says almost exactly the same thing. And that passage holds the key for understanding the appropriate way for people to repay God for his creative work. Let's have a look. It's found in Romans, the first chapter, begins with verse 18. And the context here is that Paul is laying out the universal problem that affects all people. It's the same snare that entrapped the people of Israel once they had gotten settled into the promised land. But Paul says it's a universal problem, which means it's our problem too. He writes, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Let's stop and think about what he's saying right here. Some sort of truth about God is being suppressed by people who act wickedly. That's it so far, isn't it? So what is the truth that's being suppressed? Next verse. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. 
And there it is. That's what's being corrupted or suppressed. The truth that God is God, that he is powerful, and that he is divine. That ought to be fairly obvious to everybody, Paul says. Why? Because of creation. By looking around at everything everything that's been made, that's here. Just, I mean, have a look around, he says. People ought to be able to see all this stuff and reason that only a divine, powerful being could have made all that. But instead, watch what happens next. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor what? Nor what? Gave thanks to him. They didn't praise him, glorify him, and they didn't thank him. They didn't thank him. Thank him for what? We're going to see in just a few moments for what. But Paul says people don't acknowledge him or thank him, and as a result, what happens? Thinking becomes futile. Foolish hearts are darkened. Although people claim to be wise, what are they actually? Fools, yeah. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. That means for idols made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. King James says corruptible man. Corruptible. We saw that word, didn't we? Are you noticing any similarities between what Paul is saying here and what Moses sang in the first couple of verses of his song? There are a lot of parallels here, at least three. The idea of forgetting God, the idea of creation, and the transformation of wisdom into foolishness. And now we come to the answer of the question that we asked a few moments ago. Why should people give thanks to God? Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what? Created things rather than who? The creator who is forever blessed. Amen. The truth of God. What's that? Well, that's that he exists and that he made everything. That he's the creator. They exchanged that for something else. They exchanged it for a lie. A lie that says there is no creator God. And so, of course, there is no one to thank that we have life. That we're here. The whole root of this issue here seems to be that people lose sight of God who is the maker of everything. And so, of course, they don't give him thanks for being the maker or for anything else. And from there, it's a downward spiral. It just gets worse and worse. It did in the time of Israel. It does today as well. And here's the point. The appropriate response to God for what he has done and what he has made and what he has promised is gratitude. That's it. Gratefulness that he has made us. Thankfulness is rooted in creation. That he has blessed us. That he has made in us the ability and the power and the talent to do the things we do. And when we fail to remember that and thank him for it, we're in danger of falling away, of exchanging the truth of God for a lie and becoming fools even though we think 
We're very, very intelligent. Gratefulness makes us wise. Without it, we begin to think that we're the ones responsible for all the good things that we do and all the things that we can accomplish and all the stuff that we have. We become worshipers of self. And that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel once they settled into the promised land. They lived in houses they didn't build. They ate fruit from vineyards that they didn't plant. And their herds multiplied and they began to think it was their own power and skill and ability that had gotten them all those good things. The antidote for that is gratefulness. But not simply gratitude in general. Have you ever noticed that giving thanks by its very nature, by its very definition, requires a direct object in the statement? It requires a recipient. So the antidote for idolatry, the antidote for the attitude of entitlement, the real correction for the attitude of privilege, whether it be white or black or any other variety, is gratefulness to God, to thank him. Now, we can and should thank one another for the kindnesses and the blessings that other people give to us. But what about the things that come to us not as a result of something other people have done? For example, the fact that we have been blessed to live in America rather than, say, Ethiopia, right? Not that Ethiopians are, are bad or inferior people at all. They are not. But life is a whole lot harder for the people in Ethiopia than it is for most people here. And we are here. Why is that? What is the, the proper response for that? Is it just to think, wow, lucky me. What's the proper response to the fact that we have plenty to eat or that we have meaningful work to do or decent health care when we need it? Or that we can see gorgeous sunsets and hear music that can bring tears to our eyes that it's so beautiful. And have people around us who love us. Well, the proper response to that is gratefulness to God. And if someone chooses to believe there is no God, that everything around us, including we ourselves, is, just came about because of some absolutely mathematically impossibility, some fluke, then who does get the thanks for the privilege of citizenship and decent health care and meaningful work and beautiful sunsets and all the other undeserved blessings that come down from above upon us? Who gets, who gets the thanks for that? Is it just dumb luck? For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love from which our birth over and around us lies. Lord of all, to thee we raise this, our grateful song of praise. I've heard it said that the only virtue necessary for citizenship in heaven is the virtue of gratitude. And I rather think it might be true. So maybe we ought to keep in practice it keeps the correct perspective on the creature-creator relationship. And it produces wisdom 
and it gives us appropriate humility. And so, Paul writes, be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with gratitude, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. Give thanks in all circumstances, he writes, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In all circumstances, good and bad. And I think the only way that we can experience gratefulness in all circumstances is to know that God is faithful. He always does what is right. And he loves us with an everlasting love. He will not let us go. And he will walk with us through whatever circumstances we have to walk through. And he will bring us through to the promised land. He has promised that. It's to remember that he is the creator and not we ourselves. He is the creator and the redeemer. And everything that we are and everything that we have comes from his good hands. Thank you, God. So I'd like to have you stand at this time. We're going to sing together uh, a, thank, a Thanksgiving song, my tribute, and Mike and I are going to attempt to lead you in this. <laughs>